0: Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. The Leslie Marshall Show. A true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people.
1: From Washington DC every Wednesday from 3 to 4 PM for an hour-long Generation Progress Takeover.
0: Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at GenProgress.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock, and I am joined today by my co-host Edwith. Hello, hello. Ed with Eugene, thanks so much for uh, joining us everyone. It has now been 10 weeks since the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus outbreak a pandemic. Thus far, more than 90,000 Americans have died from COVID-19. And today we're gonna be discussing one group of people in particular who are extremely vulnerable during this pandemic, people who are experiencing homelessness or who have insecure housing situations. These populations are more at risk, both as a result of the infectious nature of the disease and because of the economic crisis that the pandemic has caused. So to talk with us more about how this population is affected by the COVID-19 pandemic and what lawmakers should be doing to better protect people who are unhoused, we're joined by two expert guests. Uh, The first guest we have joining us is Valencia Gunder, the CEO and founder of the Smile Trust. Thank you for joining us, Valencia.
2: Hey, everybody. How y'all doing? Thank you so much for having me.
1: Wonderful. Great to have you. And the second is Jaboa Lake, a senior policy analyst for the Center for American Progress's Poverty to Prosperity Program. Thank you so much for joining us, Jaboa. Thank you for having me on. So I want to I want to jump right in here. I feel like we've got a lot to cover. And I think that this is something that has absolutely not gotten enough attention um, throughout the course of this pandemic. Obviously, a long running running problem, obviously always a problem, but like many other problems, just totally exacerbated um, by by the pandemic. So Valencia, can you tell us a little bit more about the mission of the Smile Trust? Uh, What led you to found the organization?
2: Oh, yes. Um, so we, our organization is about six years old. We um, started out as um, Make the Homeless Smile. Our objective was to go out and assist homeless folks. And the only thing they had to pay was a smile for all of our services. But over time, we realized that our services were reaching past the homeless population and we were feeding communities. So we changed our name to the Smile Trust. Um, I started the organization because I faced homelessness myself back in 2010, and um, I always told myself, like, when I got on my feet, when I was able to, I would help. Um, And I started by just passing out some sandwiches, and um, my friends were like, when are we going back out? And six years later, we're still going back out.
1: Thanks so much. And thank you so much for the the work that you're doing, Valencia. Uh, Jaboa, what is your role on the Poverty to Prosperity program um, at CAP? Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do?
3: Of course. Um, So I actually started fairly recently in January at CAP, and I'm a senior policy analyst on the policy side of the team for the Poverty Prosperity Program. And a lot of my work so far has been focusing on homelessness and low-income housing issues and the criminalization of poverty, so really looking at the intersections of the criminal justice system and experiences with poverty And a lot of the work is really inherently intersectional and it aims to really recognize the full person so that whenever we're thinking about um, solutions, we are centering those who are most vulnerable and uh, making sure that their disparities are recognized. Um, But the larger team addresses a whole lot of different things. We focus a lot on social safety net programs like SNAP and unemployment. We have a disability justice initiative. We focus a lot on peace place-based policy with the real goal of finding like really creative and forward thinking um, ways of lifting up individuals, families and communities out of poverty.
0: Thank you. I love both the work that both of you are doing. Um, Boa, to start us off in our discussion for today, um, COVID-19 has posed a huge threat to people experiencing homelessness. I know you recently wrote a piece for CAP on why homeless individuals and families must be taken into account in the coronavirus response. Can you give us a high-level overview of why homeless populations are especially at risk from this pandemic?
3: Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned beforehand that this is a topic that's not being talked about nearly enough. And um, experiencing homelessness is definitely a topic that has never been talked about enough. Uh, Homelessness is not a new problem at all. And the United States has a really long history of enacting systems and laws that target specific communities and force them into financial insecurity in a lot of different ways. So, that you know, the affordable housing crisis has existed for a long time um, and the current pandemic really just reveals a lot of these injustices and inadequacies in the system and um, responses to people when they are pushed into homelessness and housing insecurity. So during the pandemic, you know, we're, we're really revealing a lot of what's actually going on and has been going on for a lot of for a long time. And people experiencing homelessness and those with uh, unstable housing are even more at risk in a lot of ways the most basic piece of it is that you really can't shelter in place if you don't have anywhere to go. So when you're experiencing homelessness, you're preventing um, people from being able to um, adhere to pandemic response orders and guidance by health departments, despite you know people's best and most creative efforts to do so. Um, and without housing, it's really difficult to even do basic practices around um, hygiene, which is the fundamental need right now in staying healthy and preventing spread. So with closures of spaces like shelters and community day centers, public Libraries, religious centers, and public restrooms—it's really getting difficult to access sanitation facilities, and is—and um, is, that is really specifically an issue for people experiencing homelessness. Um, and it's also really difficult because we're—we're we're really revealing a lot of the issues with. Um, the homelessness responses that we currently have and have had for a lot while even though they're extremely inadequate but people who experience homelessness live in a lot of different experiences and geographies and many of the solutions and resources that are made available um, are implicitly urban centered and don't really come close to meeting the needs of people experiencing homelessness in rural areas so we're seeing just so many issues coming up because of this pandemic that these issues aren't necessarily new
1: yeah, I think um, I think some of what you said uh, really—it's—it's. It's, I don't think people are, are thinking about what happens when you uh, close public spaces for the health. You know, obviously for the health and safety of the community. But as you're talking about uh, library access um, and things like that, places where uh, people who might not have computers go to uh, find find ways to get benefits or find ways to um, submit job applications or find ways to um, have shelter during the day. Um, Places that I think a lot of people take for granted, um, they're not even open, right?
3: exactly and that's the problem it's not that we need to keep these places open but without alternatives set in place to provide the resources that are direly needed it's extremely difficult for people to make up anything or to um, continue to live their lives in healthy ways so you know of course closures are needed but you can't just take something away and not give any other option and then hold people accountable for provisions
1: yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so uh, Valencia, I want to pivot over to you again for a second here. Uh, Valencia, where are you located? Um, I, just for everybody's awareness, everybody who's listening, um, we've been doing these remotely. Edwith and I are doing these separately uh, in our own homes. We bought uh, mics online and everything. Um, so I don't even know sometimes um, where, we're, where we're talking to people from since we're not doing this in studio any, anymore. Uh, Valencia, where where are you joining us from?
2: Yeah. So right now I'm physically in Atlanta. However, I do my work in Miami um, in South Florida specifically. Um, So that's where I do the bulk of my work um, with my homeless outreach. And I've also been doing homeless outreach here in Atlanta during COVID-19.
1: Okay, great. Uh, So with your work and your experience um, in Miami, how have uh, homeless individuals been impacted by the pandemic thus far?
2: Well, just similar to what the other guest was talking about um, right now, um, unsheltered folks, um, the usual ways they will stay sanitized and the services that they are usually rendered have ultimately stopped. So some of the things that we put in place is like a hand-washing station um, led by Dr. Armin Henderson in Miami's Overtown, really close to downtown Miami, uh, where we have bathrooms and hand-washing stations for um, homeless individuals. But right now, um, the shelters are packed. People are not eating because the world um, is at a place where everybody cannot even, you know, feed themselves. So it's very hard for people to share with others. Um, and we're seeing a huge amount of criminalization amongst homeless individuals in Miami. Uh, people are being arrested for panhandling. People are being arrested for, quote, unquote, violating the health um the health um, mandates that they put in place, but how is one to um, actually, you know, abide by those rules, when they don't have the means to do so? And um, another thing that we see is happening is that it's a lack of testing amongst the homeless population. Individuals are not um, getting tested properly, so therefore we don't know if um, these unsheltered individuals are being exposed to the virus. My myself, the the Smile Trust, um, the Miami-Dade Street response team led by um, Armin Henderson and the Dream Defenders, we came together to buy some tests. So we've been testing a few folks, but it's nowhere near the numbers that we need to see. To see who and what, and like how the virus is spreading amongst the homeless population. Um, And we've been doing things like giving people tents so they could shelter in place as much as possible. But that all came to an end when the city actually destroyed all of our tents last Friday and threw them all in the trash.
0: Uh, Valencia, that sounds really awful. And I really love all the things that you're kind of illuminating for us here, especially for those who are not. part of the community or see that firsthand. Um, I'd love to dig deeper, but right now we're going to pivot to a commercial break. So once we get back, we'll, we'd love to hear more about what you all have been doing to address homelessness and the impact of COVID-19. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Hello, and welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Edwith Theogene. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. Um, Today, we are talking about COVID-19 and homelessness. We're joined by two great speakers. We have Jaboa Lake, Senior Policy Analyst of the Poverty to Prosperity Program at the Center for American Progress, and Valencia Gunder, who's CEO and founder of the Smile Trust, also known as the modern day Fannie Lou Hamer. Valencia, before we went off to break, you were sharing with us and with our audience about the tent destruction and criminalization of homelessness in, that's going on right now in Miami, Florida. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's been going on and how you and some of the folks on the ground have been able to navigate that?
2: Well, um, yes. So, um The criminalization, well, for for those who don't know, homelessness and poverty in America has always been criminalized, right? We've known that for a long, long time. And right now we're seeing, and usually I always tell people that climate is a threat multiplier. So if you're already dealing with, can I curse? Um. B.S. Perfect. We'll we'll take that. (laughs) Dealing with B.S., you're gonna deal with the times three during these times, right? And um, homeless individuals or unsheltered folks have always been criminalized. But what we're seeing now is under the COVID um 19 mandates, um, especially under this um state of emergency that we're in, new laws, and even if they're quote unquote temporary, have been put in place. Like panhandling is now illegal on Miami Beach. So people have been getting arrested in mass numbers for asking for food or money um, if they're homeless, you have individuals because the public libraries or restaurants or places where they would usually use the restroom are closed, people are having to use the restroom outside. So people are being arrested because of those reasons. And we all know that putting a person in a jail is the worst place you can put them in the time of a global pandemic, right? Because there's no way that you can self-isolate in a cage, especially an overpopulated cage and um we've been doing things like one bringing awareness to it so we've been having um individuals on the ground volunteers led by a professional medical a medical professional in full ppe um documents and talking to homeless individuals getting their stories making sure that their voices are being heard and we try to bring as much awareness to the situation as possible um two we've been trying to hold our county accountable Right, I know a lot of people have been celebrating because they've been releasing people from the county jail and they've been releasing people from prisons, but that means nothing if we're not looking at the intake numbers, right, which are the, almost equal to the amount of people they have released. And most of the people who are being arrested in this time are homeless individuals because they cannot self isolate, they cannot abide by the curfews and things of that nature. So, we've been trying to work with our um, local officials. Um, to make sure that um, when we put these new laws in place that we're being um, careful and, and also equitable in a way that these things are put into law because there's no way for me to eat if I'm homeless, if I'm not asking somebody for help in most cases, right? It's no way for me to use them restroom inside of a facility if all of them are closed and I don't have a house to live in you know and I don't think I don't think individuals who make these rules and enforce them even stop to think about that before they arrest the individual so we've been trying our hardest to fight it's been a really hard task it's been really really hard for us to do so um, and just like I said earlier um, in Miami just this past Friday, literally all of the tents that we pay for out of our pockets as small grassroots organizations. We tested all of these unsheltered folks, passed out the tents, and we go out every Friday to make sure they have what they need to say, sanitized and have food, was all ripped up, shredded, and put into a dumpster on Friday. So even though we were trying to assist individuals, we were getting pushback from our local officials. And, um, I know we are one of the many um regions or cities that are going through the same thing when it comes to homelessness,
1: yeah, it sounds like this is um I, this is you're sort of illustrating something um it's that's awful, and that i I assume is happening in communities uh, across the country, um as folks. You know, people lose their jobs and that sort of thing. Uh, it's kind of exacerbating this problem of homelessness in the United States if people don't have incomes. And I think what struck me about what you are saying um, is that criminalizing it doesn't fix the problem. You know, uh, it. By punishing people that does it's not only it's not only cruel um, it's not only um, imparting cruel practices but it doesn't actually do anything to help rectify um, the problem that uh, I guess lawmakers um, or authority figures are trying to uh, trying to fix it doesn't actually um, improve the situation um, or get rid of the problem um, it just punishes the people who are least equipped to be able to to handle uh the sorts of fines or uh bail or any other types of financial stressors that uh, are then put on top of them um so i want to pick back up on that thread when we come back um you've been listening to the generation progress takeover of the leslie marshall show and we're going to be right back with you after this commercial break
0: follow leslie on twitter just go to www.twitter.com slash leslie marshall and we'll be sure to share your tweets hello and welcome back to the generation progress takeover of the leslie marshall show i'm your co-host Edward theagene and i'm joined by
1: hi i'm charlotte hancock
0: Um, So thank you so much for joining us. Today we are also joined by Jaboa Lake, who is a senior policy analyst for Poverty to Prosperity Program here at the Center for American Progress. And we're also joined by Valencia Gunder, CEO and founder of The Smile Trust. And we are talking about COVID-19 and the impact of that on homelessness. One powerful photo from early in the pandemic depicted a parking lot in Las Vegas with rectangles drawn to provide spaces for people to sleep and while physical distancing. The situation arose because the homeless shelters in the area were temporarily closed. Um, I wanna pivot this to either Valencia or Jaboa, but um, I know since both of you have different kind of like perspectives of what's really happening, but have shelters dealt with this pandemic thus far and what challenges have they faced?
2: I think um, the shelters are doing what they can. Um, in in Miami specifically, the way homeless shelters work, you have to go through an uh, entity called the Homeless Trust. You can't just walk up to a homeless shelter in Miami. Um, it's this whole extra process to get into it, and it's government controlled, right? Um, which to me, it takes away from the ability to serve in the capacity that you know you can. Um, I I don't think, I think most of the shelters in Miami are at capacity, and I also know that we have more homeless people than beds in Miami, right? Like most cities, right? Um, I personally don't want to slam the institutions, but at the same time, I think um, it's time for us to go through what we have, the process we've been doing things, and how we've been assisting people with the fine-tooth comb, right? Because right now, I feel as if the pandemic is, um, you know, showing our slip. It's uncovering, putting a magnifying glass on what it is that we actually can and can't do, what our true capacity is. We can't fluff numbers at this time, right? So, um, for example, they telling people to, um, to isolate in place, to stay in place, but most homeless shelters kick people out 7 o'clock in the morning. And you roam and you roam and you do whatever it is you do. And you come back at 7 p.m. at night. And they're still doing that in the middle of a pandemic, right? Um, I never thought that made sense before COVID. And I don't understand what it makes how it makes sense now. Um, but then at the same time, I don't work at the shelter. And I don't understand or know why they do that, you know? So I think that we have... Um, we have so much, um, much so much to learn, but I do feel as if they're trying their hardest, but I feel as if the government should be doing more and giving more.
0: Yeah. Jaboa, do you have any thoughts or anything to add about how shelters are responding to this moment?
2: Yeah,
3: it's, it's a really difficult space to be in right now. Um, congregate shelters are already severely overcrowded and chronically under-resourced. And so a lot of these shelters do not have capacity and resources to really safely lar- house large numbers of people anyway. So right now shelters are kind of in this double bind where they can either, you know, A, provide um, shelter for more people while increasing the risk of spread or B, limit the amount of people who engage with their services and leave others behind. So there isn't, without additional resources and support from states and federal government, there really isn't a way to win here. There are some shelters that are trying to get creative with their solutions, such as like rearranged bedding, but you can't just create space where there isn't any. Um, And there's a lot of other problems that it's kind of revealing around capacity. Many homelessness services are really volunteer-based and dependent. And during the pandemic, volunteerism has plummeted for good reason. People need to stay home. But this is really making a lot of services difficult to carry out without workers to do so. So there's this inherent problem with relying on volunteer labor for essential services around housing and homelessness.
1: So, they're yeah. already having a lot of really, um, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, no, yeah, Jabo, I, I think I was just going to pick up on one of the things you were saying there. Like the fact that so much of this is already, is currently uh, run by volunteers um, and that they're just not going to be able to do uh, what they need to be able to do in order to expand and take on increased loads um, during the pandemic. So, I guess I wanted to follow up on that and ask Jabo, uh, have any of the government relief packages thus far taken people and families experiencing homelessness into account? Um, And if so, how have they addressed like health and economic impacts of, of the crisis on people?
3: Yeah, so the, ironically, the named Families First Coronavirus Response Package didn't actually explicitly provide any support for people experiencing homelessness. It wasn't until the CARES Act, which provided $4 billion, and emergency solution grants where we really start, start, started to see some support there at the federal level but it's way under the 15 billion dollars that's needed estimate by experts for um, alleviating the homelessness crisis during the pandemic and the thing is they, these funds are only for short and medium term housing solutions so they're not for long-term housing solutions um, there was a heroes act of course that was introduced um, last last week and passed in the House, but the Senate hasn't passed it yet. And they might not, if at all, you know, until mid to late June. And that act did include the Emergency Rental Assistance and Rental Market Stabilization Act, which did make up for a lot of the gaps that the CARES Act didn't have. So it has $100 billion in emergency rental assistance. It has $11.5 billion additional funds for homelessness. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, What's, there are a lot of localities that have been picking up the the lack of action at the federal level but that's still not enough if if localities and states don't have the funding and resources to provide shelters then what are you supposed to do you know so people are having to get really really creative um with the ways that they're approaching this pandemic and on the ground you know there are a lot of shelters that don't have Um, that are really dependent on specific grants to run. So, and these grants may have specific requirements for who can and can't receive services. And there are shelters that are, you know, kind of circumventing those and saying, you know, what's most important is providing housing and shelter for people first. So we're not going to make you, um, you know, adhere to these because your health is more important. And I'll give an example of that. some shelters who have restrictions around age limits or um, rehabilitation program uh, enrollment have been kind of overstepping those to be able to provide more resources to people. Um, and to get personal, I'll tell a story of my younger sister whose uh, story is I'm, I'm really proud to list up, but she was in a transitional housing cent- uh, setting where she aged out at the age 25 in, in January. Um, so she wasn't allowed to live there anymore. So she was forced to um, return to homelessness and she was living in. In a tent in a rural town in central California. And after a couple of months, um, the, the service providers came up to her and found her and said, you know, what's more important is that you have housing. We don't care how old you are, come back here. So we are seeing shelters and um, transitional housing spaces really being like, you know, it, we have these requirements that we're supposed to adhere to, but we're not being supported at the state or federal levels. So what's more, most important is to be able to provide these resources when we have them.
0: That's good to hear that your sister was able to find some housing and that shelters were kind of trying to meet the need as best as they could. So it sounds like there's a variety of different experiences that are happening across the country um, and a lot of different ways that I think that we can also meet the need that's out there. Um, As someone who's from South Florida, who is also very alarmed from a lot of the stuff that Valencia you've shared about what's happening in Miami, um, in the short term What would you like to see from federal, state, or local governments to do to protect people experiencing homelessness?
2: Well, um, one of the the major things I would like to see is the direct resources coming out of these stimulus packages, right? Um, Like was stated earlier, it's nothing in the package um, for individuals that are facing homelessness. And then on the top of uh, all of that, the the things that's happening for people who are becoming homeless during this COVID crisis. Um, Even though I know we talk about the eviction moratoriums and the eviction freezes and stuff like that, a lot of landlords are not abiding by that. So we're starting to see even more people become homeless during this time. So I would like to see more um, accountability on banks and landlords to make sure that people are not being put out. I would like to see more resources being pushed to get people off the street into um, transitional housing, or at least give more resources to existing homeless organizations so that they can, um, you know, help more individuals. So um, I would like those things, and honestly, I would like for us to take a full assessment and, please, um, you know, let's try to troubleshoot these things. We're seeing the gaps. Why not fill them in? So
0: that's what I would like to see. That's great. And I I totally agree with that. Um, And Jaboa, in the longer terms, what are some of the policies that you think that we should be thinking about um, as we start thinking, as we are advocating for help to find people, find and keep housing for people?
3: Yeah, you know, unfortunately, so many of the response packages are so short term that that's all we're really seeing when it comes to actions. when the real need is this really deep structural change in the way that we think about um, housing and homelessness, the way that we approach who is eligible, eligible, the resources and the attention that we put towards these. So a lot of it is really just a, a structural and social change in the way that we even, um, you know interact with um, the systems that can provide resources, you know, and, you know, the next step really would be to push to have the Senate pass the HEROES Act, but even the HEROES Act is only until the 30th of September um, of this year, so it's another short-term solution, but some of the really longer structural changes um, that could happen are, you know, within the federal response packages, a lot of them are increasing funding for voucher programs, um, for housing voucher programs to provide rental assistance, to provide deposit assistance. And a lot of these voucher programs will be sunsetting, which means that after these, this new round of funding is used up and vouchers are finished, they're not going to be renewed. And I think that we need to rethink the way that we think about this crisis because there was a homelessness crisis beforehand, and there will be afterwards if we cut funding after um, you know a year or two because the need and the recovery is going to be a lot longer than that. So making sure that not all of the funding is for only sunsetting programs is a really a really critical point but we also want to make sure that you know, in the long term, people have the space to recover. A lot of the um, renter and mortgage grace, peer, um, renter and mortgage um, provisions that are happening really aren't taking into account how long it might take people for make to make up, you know, back payment of funds and fees. So canceling rent is a huge, um, you know, solution right now, so that people aren't hit with a huge, you know, multi-thousand-dollar bill in just a couple of months because they weren't able to pay rent right now. Um, including renter and mortgage um, grace periods that start after restrictions have been lifted and really account for how long people are going to be in recovery. And again, really structural and permanent changes to other social systems, such as SNAP, unemployment, um, and other systems that people really rely on that will be um, restructured in response to the understanding that we already had had these problems and they're being exacerbated. And the the supports that are being added right now first of all, aren't enough, um, but need to be extended and seen as long-term solutions and not short-term solutions. We also think need to have really that. center-centered solutions, yeah
1: yeah i think that's exactly right um and i'm sorry to jump in here uh we're gonna go to commercial break real fast um but i think what you're saying about this has always been a problem um and we're you know we need we need the stimulus package we need the short-term solution but also like let's get some long-term solutions in there uh you've been listening to the generation progress takeover of the leslie marshall show and we will be right back after this commercial break
0: leslie marshall real people real life Real talk.
1: Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co host, Charlotte Hancock.
0: And I'm Ed with your other co host.
1: Uh, and thanks so much to everybody for joining us on this show today. Uh, we have joining us Valencia Gunder of the Smile Trust and also Jaboa Lake from the Center for American Progress. And today we're talking about a population that is uniquely and heavily impacted by the coronavirus pandemic, uh, the the population of people in the United States experiencing homelessness. Um, So I wanted to come back and ask you both, um, we want to make sure that people listening who are interested in getting more involved in this issue uh, have a way to take action. so Jaboa, I think um, with, with that in mind, um, I know when we went to the commercial break, we were talking about some of the policies um, in the longer term that you're advocating for um, and advocating for people to get uh, help with. So um, in the longer term, um, what, what do you think policymakers um, and legislators need to be doing to advocate for people experiencing homelessness in order to help them find and keep housing?
3: Yeah, so everything I was mentioning beforehand, including what's in the HEROES Act and the protections and, and resources that will be included in that, Um, But a lot of the pressure that advocates are asking people to um, put right now are to really make sure that your senators, both Democrat and Republican, are um, going to be passing the HEROES Act. And that's a huge act. You know, there are a lot of things in there that are great. Um, There are things that still need to happen, though, too. So pressuring state and localities to um, continue that legislation, you know, the HEROES Act and the CARES Act aren't all of the solution, it's really just the baseline. So there are states and localities and cities that have been um, stepping up even more by introducing legislation to cancel rent, by introducing legislation and passing it to um, provide renter and mortgage uh, um, uh, grace periods, to provide even more resources and funding and spaces for, homelessness services so it's really about seeing what's going on locally and holding your your um, local lawmakers accountable for those actions you know so if people are hesitant to partner with hotels to create voucher systems pressure people to um, follow through with those you know we have a lot of elections coming up so it's a really a good point to make sure that um your your uh, representatives are paying attention to the to these issues so putting pressure on your on your senators to pass the HEROES act but also making sure at the local level that this isn't being treated as the solution but just the baseline
1: and in Valencia um, are there other ways um, that you think folks can speak up on this issue I mean as as Jabo is saying there this is like this is something that requires a holistic solution, right? It's not just uh, fixing, figuring out things in shelters right now, um, and it's not just uh, housing vouchers. It sounds like there are a ton of different things that we can do that would help uh, alleviate the the scale and the magnitude of this program. So um, what would you tell people who want to speak up on this issue?
2: Yes. Um, So one, I always tell people to find the local organization that's doing some advocacy work, join them, see how you can volunteer. Right. Because right now um, at our organization, we're doing weekly phone banks. We've been checking in on folks. We've also been um, like making sure we're super heavily present at our local commission meetings that are all done virtually now in our state meetings, um, using up that public speaking time and um, asking for help for individuals. Um, There's a lot of petitions that are floating around. Um, We have a website, I'm a part of a coalition. Um, It's called FloridaCovidAction.org. And you can find out all the information. You can see all of our listed demands. And we have uh, petitions on there that you can sign on. And you can sign up to volunteer with us if you would like to. So those are ways that I think individuals can safely be involved. And also, um, um, just to make sure, like, when you're riding through your city, if you do leave your house during this time, just, you know, be observant of what's going on in your community. Yes, we do need to make sure we hold our... um, Elected officials accountable because they, these individuals will be, you know, handling billions of dollars that will be coming down the pipeline to our cities and our communities. But also, um, I think another holistic way is um, helping your neighbor when you can.
0: Thank you. That's really important. Um, in Valencia, modern day Fannie Lou Hamer. Um, I keep saying that because I see that so true in all the work that you do. Um, where can people go to learn more about you and about your work?
2: Sure, you can all everybody can check out um, the smile trust.org. Smile trust, no, what am I talking about? mthsmile.com. We're changing our website, <laughs> gave y'all <laughs> something too early. Um, and um, you all can follow um, the smile trust on all social media platforms that's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can follow my personal um, social media platforms. I'm Valencia Gunder on all platforms. Um, so that's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And um, you can follow the hashtag modern day Fannie Lou.
0: Thank you. And Jaboa, where can people go to learn more about you and your work?
3: Um, I do have a Twitter. I'm not very active, but you can follow me at Jaboa Lake. Um, And you can also check out my page on the Center for American Progress's website, where it has some of my past work and some of the upcoming work we're working on will be published. Um, We have actually a body of work coming up on the criminalization of poverty and homelessness, so you can expect that. And we have a couple other really essential pieces around homelessness and coronavirus coming up in the next month or two. Um, I also just really quickly want to emphasize that another way to take action is just to keep telling stories. There's a lot of statistics that are coming out right now about the crisis, but being able to tell and uplift stories of people who are experiencing hardships and homelessness during this time is essential as um, you know releasing graphs and, and statistics
1: great thank you so much and that is all the time that we have for today thank you so much to our producer mark Grimaldi, uh, emily leach and our guests valencia gunder and jaboa lake and to all of our listeners we'll talk to y'all next time
0: Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000
1: playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit
0: MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day.
2: At Speedway, we've always been here to get you what you need when you need it. We're committed to keeping our stores open, clean, and safe, so you can stay fueled and refreshed all summer long. We've got cold drinks for hot days and frozen drinks for even hotter ones, plus energy boosts, quick bites, and pick-me-ups. We're always on your way, and we're always here for you. So no matter what you need, when you stop by, we'll be ready. Now, any speedy freeze up to mighty size is just 99 cents.